Second down and seven. From the 30, no score. John Mangum's tip drill work paid off for the interception. Sweep to the left side. Thayer, it's a halfback pass. And it's up for grabs and caught at the 10. Ron Morris. you're going to see we'll start off to the left there it's going to be a left-handed run pass see it starts like it's going to be a run like it's going to be a sweep he gets hit just as he's throwing the ball the ball stays up there and wobbles and wobbles until finally morris gets it what's neil anderson here he's throwing left-handed with his gloves he almost doesn't get it off watch just the ball goes out of there just as he gets hit causing one of the ugliest passes ever in the nfl <laughs> Welcome back to another exciting edition of the Pointless Exercise Podcast. It's time to remember this playoff crap with Mike Donahue. Mike, how are you doing? Terrific. Bears are in the playoffs, man. The Bears are in the playoffs. Um, thanks to John Wolford. Is that Donnell's son? Nephew? I believe there, yeah, I think there was an adoption that took place. Yeah. And, and well, Whatever, yeah. good for him. Uh, yes, so the, the Red Hot Bears, uh, winners of three of the last ten, are in the playoffs where their reward is uh, whatever is left of Drew Brees. Yep. Um, a COVID lung-filled Alvin Kamara, uh, one-legged Michael Thomas, and the defense that will most likely not allow the Bears to score a point. But other than that, it should be fine. Well, sign me up. So in preparation for the big tilt Sunday afternoon on Nickelodeon, um, <laughs> that's right. I watched a lot of. Uh, it was you can't do that on television. Was that the show that had the where they slime people and yep. the guy the host yep. had o- terrible OCD and so it all creeped him out, but he had to pretend that it didn't. Mark, something. I I used to watch the show sort of in my wheelhouse, early days of cable, like twelve thirty. But I can't recall anything but the slime and the girl that wasn't Alanis Morissette, but was on the show. I didn't remember Alanis Morissette being on that show till she was a star. So I, I don't know. Maybe I'm not the best uh, expert, but slime, yes. Is I that where recall. she met Dave Coulier, or is that, that just because they're both Canadian and all the Canadians? <laughs> I think it's a Canadian. All thing. the Canadians know each other. Yep. Um, so that's what I did. It's going to be a far different podcast. I just broke down a bunch of you can't do that on televisions, and that's what we're going to remember. Um, <laughs> so actually, the people, the people of a certain age will know. Everyone should know because it's it's history, and I believe you study it in school. Uh, the Bears and the Saints have played twice in the playoffs already. Uh, everyone re- remembers the uh, 2007 uh, NFC Championship game. Or but if- there was one before that. The 1991 wild card game. Some eerie parallels to this one. The NFL had just expanded the playoffs. They'd added a team to each conference, and the 8-8 eight and eight Saints made the playoffs. Does that sound familiar? As they've added a team this year, and the 8-8 eight and eight Bears have been... Although the Saints won their last two games, including a shocking win in San Francisco on week 16 against the then 13-1 and San Francisco 49ers. 
who uh, eventually would um, miss going to the Super Bowl. Thanks to Roger uh, Craig leaving a handoff well, in the dirt. Fumbled, and then Matt Barr kicked the field goal. Mm-hmm. Was that who it was? Um, yeah. Yeah, it was a typical season for the Niners. And, yeah, you can make fun of the Saints for being 8-8, eight and eight, but in, in my memory – uh, they were actually sort of in the tail end of uh, what was their first kind of um, competent run of success. The first 20 years of this franchise, and we talked about it, it put it in historical context because the Bears and Saints did play this season. And we spent some time you know, rehashing that history. Uh, but they were unparalleled in their awfulness um, until 1987 when the great Jim Mora, who uh, would later go on to become a meme as a Colts coach playoffs. with the playoffs game. Uh, you know, until 80s, they never had, I'm almost confident, you can look it up, they did not have a winning record in the first 20 years of their existence, let alone a playoff appearance. Yes, I believe that's um, yeah, I think Bump Phillips may have led them to an 8-8 eight and eight season. That was like the only period where they absolutely didn't suck for a couple of years in the early 80s. Um, and so, yeah, they, their number finally came up. Jim Mora had been in the USFL, and... All of a sudden, 1987, kind of out of the blue, and like Morris' second season, I bet, they made the playoffs. They lost. Uh, they made the playoffs at least in one of the next two seasons and also lost. This was their, made, this game sure. against the Bears was their second playoff game ever. Oh, that's it. They had lost okay. their, in their previous one, I believe, was two seasons prior to that. It was to the 88? Vikings, okay. Maybe it was just the year before. Um. But yes, they didn't it, make it in '87. My bad. All right, that, that might have been the year they made it, but they lost to the Vikings. They were 0-1 all time in playoff games when they arrived okay. at Chili Soldiers Field to take on their future coach and the Bears forever. That's coach. right, Coach Dick. That's right, Ditka, By the way, sporting. Well, I, I should say I watched this entire game. On YouTube, so. like like condensed every play, every like play. Three hours they, some guy cut all the commercials out, but it, I watched the whole shittery, all of it. Uh, wow, you deserve some sort of a uh, Ditka of an award. Wearing what even today would be a really cool leather jacket. Is that right? Not an ostentatious. Ditka. It's it's all black. It's got like a bear logo on the on the you know like on the chest. Okay. Um, and then just bears on the back and kind of nice. That's it. You know, there's no, no yeah. gaudy, awful orange everywhere. It's a cool jacket. And then he, he very clearly had an armband on, which made him. Oh, awful. I know Fred Washington. Yes. Because then they zoomed in on the players and the bear players had a 91 on their chest. Yes. Cause Fred Washington. Um, Let's see. You ever see the world according to Garp? <laughs> well, Jay Williams was almost the Fred Washington of motorcycle fame. Jay Williams was on a motorcycle. Please don't tell me that Jay Williams was gay, engaged in some sort of extracurricular <laughs> activity well, with with a female companion. Um, I would say that of they both had a different kind of crotch rocket. That's well put. Yeah, yeah. Fred Washington was a sort of nondescript first or second. He might have been a rookie year player, uh, defensive lineman who perished in early December after practice somewhere up in the north suburbs in a car accident. And, um, yeah, he had a, uh, you know, unfortunately, uh, he took another victim with him. And uh, let's just say that his female passenger was not in the passenger seat. Didn't have her seatbelt on. That's, we could probably Maybe. attest to that. If she did, she's very flexible. She had a seatbelt on. If she did. Um, so, he's not right. to be confused with uh, 
with uh, former Bear star Ted Washington. Right, future Fred, Bear Fred from this and point. Ted, yes. Yeah, Not yeah. the same guy. So people are like, wait nope. a minute, that big fat guy that played with Keith Trailer died? That No, that's different. Guy. So I, I, I'm going to be looking for this game when we're done. By the way, I did pull up Pro Football Reference. They did make the playoffs in 87 more a second season, so they, they missed it the next two years. But I don't remember Ditka wearing a, a leather jacket, yes. but I am going to look that up. I will tell you that Ditka kind of went through this sort of like evolution on the sidelines as far as his wardrobe. And I think, you know, in the early years, it was kind of like golf shirt and his big, you know, clown like perm. Orange perm. Uh, and then like, you know, the, the bear sweater, which is kind of the one that you typically see when yep. some local meatball wants to get on television. Like, or when Mitch Trubisky wants to dress up like him. Mitch's, right, Mitch's exactly. Family. You know the look, and that. But then there was a time where, like, this guy I think was like making an effort to just be taken more, even more, you know, or taken more seriously. And he would just he would have a shirt, he would have a suit and tie on the sidelines. Yep. I, I swear I didn't imagine that. Oh, you remember that too? Yes, okay. he did. And so, and now for the playoff game, the, like, something isn't something the famous like, picture where he's flipping off the camera on the field? Isn't he wearing? And he has like an he has like an overcoat on. That I, I might even that. be like a team brand one. But he's got, I believe he's got okay. a, at least a okay. shirt and tie and dress pants on. And he's given the, I think that might be. I have that. But yes, he he did go through that. Uh, and then when um when Mike Nolan was coaching the 49ers, uh-huh. he wanted uh-huh. to wear a suit because his dad Dick Nolan always wore a yep. suit, and he wore one, and the NFL fined him. Yep, yep, yep. Because he had to, they told him he had to wear the licensed team apparel so the idiot yep. fans who want to dress like the coach would buy it. He ended up having some textile designer Reebok, like fashionist, yep. a Reebok, but a suit, a tweet, you know, a, yep. a dress suit. Ah, the NFL um, and their ridiculous rules. Right? <laughs> he wouldn't let him wear a suit. <laughs> so, who do you think the announcers for this game? The game was on CBS. Who do you think the okay. announcers were? All right, CBS Wild Card Weekend. I can tell you this that was the, the other Sunday, game. This was their Sunday well, game. This was their... I don't know why. But here's the thing. I want to say 1990, which I recall that being the first year of the expanded wild card. Prior to that season, you had three division winners and one, right? Or one wild card? Or no, it was two for a while. And then this was now three, right? I, there was like one team with two wild cards, which was, was the new thing. Because I want to say that was like the day before. And I want to see the Atlanta Falcons were involved, but I also want to say it was on ABC, which if that's the case, if ABC had both games on Saturday, then this should have been Summerall and Madden, but you're telling me it's not. Right. It was Vern okay. Lundquist and Madden. Oh. Because Pat was out with a, uh, a health issue. Yeah. <laughs> uh, he, uh, wink, wink, had a bleeding ulcer. Wink, wink. In other he words, had a bleeding stake yes. on his head. Words, Pat was off at Trembling Pines, <laughs> trying to get dry out. So Vern, yeah. And I will tell you, Vern and I was like Madden and Summerall. They were they were beloved for a reason. They were very they were great. Together. Iconic and legitimately so. Yeah. Vern and Madden were spectacular. Vern has Good. Vern had the perfect sense of humor to go with John. He got the best out of John Madden. And, and Pat was great with John because Pat just let John go. You know, he, uh-huh. Pat was from the Ray Scott school of say as little as possible. Uh-huh. Let people know what's going on. The opposite of Jeff Joniak. Let people Touch, know um, what's going on with as little as possible. Jerry Rice. Right. Yeah. Um, and then Madden had all that room to breathe and suck all the air out of the thing. Uh-huh. And Vern talked more like a normal analyst, but was clearly delighted to get to prompt John to say funny things about things. And Madden was all in. 
It so was this that was part not, of the broadcast was very enjoyable. They were very. So good. this was not this sort of like uh, you know. Uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Sort of a you know a dismal task, laborious task for you, as I thought it was in the it beginning. It only right? was <laughs> in that the actual game is brutal. <laughs> yeah, I'll just go on the record and say I know they beat the Saints in 1990. I know Mike Tomczyk was the quarterback, and those that and the and the Saints fans getting pelted with snowballs. Only things I remember. I cannot tell you a single thing. Uh, that occurred in that game, but in the drop of a hat, I'll tell you that the Bears beat the Saints. That's all. Um, so what do you got? So the game starts uh, with uh, Steve Walsh quarterbacking the Saints. Future Bears quarterback, playoff quarterback at this point. And he tells John before the game that he only knows about 40% of the offense and that he doesn't know enough of the offense to act to adequately audible at the line. So the Saints will not be audibling. So I'm thinking to myself, okay, Number one, where is where is Bobby Ebert? So that that was the, the Walsh was a, must have been a late season pickup, obviously. And that was my second thought was, oh, they must have picked him up late in the season. How many games do you think Steve Walsh started for the nineteen ninety Saints? Uh, well, based on that comment, I would say like two. Eleven. <laughs> he started eleven games. How does he know forty percent of the offense after eleven games? This is the and this is the smart guy from Miami. This is the guy who actually went to class and graduated. Right. He knows 40%. How complicated is the Jim Mora offense that <laughs> the first week of the playoffs, he, he got traded there in on September 25th, and he still doesn't – must they must have put him in the lineup right away. So Bobby Hebert held out the entire season. He Al Harris and Todd Beldit. Oh, okay. He said, I'm okay. the franchise. you got to pay me like well, the franchise. He was. He- he was the, the the quarterback that led them to the promised yes. land, which, of course, was simply a playoff berth three years earlier. What do you think Steve Walsh, what do you think he had to give up to get Steve Walsh coming off of being Troy Aikman's caddy for three years? He, got, that, some, he got some starts it, in, the, in the first year with Troy because um, Jimmy right. got tired of watching Troy take a beating and get and lose. So they were rookies together in 88. So Walsh's last season was in Miami at 87. And so somehow, so obviously he was never projected to be a great quarterback in the NFL like Aikman was because well, Walsh Dallas was the got quarterback. You mentioned this before we came on. Walsh was the quarterback in the 88, in the Catholics versus Convicts game in 88. He at, was. At so he was a rookie in 89. That was the year he came out. So yeah. So maybe they had, so maybe Troy didn't, maybe it was year two. It was after the one in 15 year that they gave him. He had a few season. starts with the Cowboys. Yeah. Jimmy basically used him up as a rookie because then in his second season, then they he's were already both, in New Orleans. They were both first round draft picks. So but he was Walsh traded. To the was Saints. a Walsh was a supplemental draft pick. Okay, between the first and the second round. And since Again, Jimmy was so good at swiping number ones off other teams, he had no problem using a conditional first on, um or using a supplemental first-round pick on Walsh a year after he had picked Troy number one overall. Okay. Because what you do is in the supplemental draft, if you pick a player, whatever round you pick him in, you lose that pick in the next year's, in the in the April draft. And Jimmy's like, fuck it, I need a backup, we'll just take Walsh. Well, wait, walk me through the supplemental draft then, obviously is not the April draft. Do they even still have a supplemental I draft? I don't know that they still do it. Uh, the, remember remember uh, it, it, Harvey who was Unga? It do you remember him? I know that. I remember the name. Bear. He was a bear. Yes. He was a supplemental draft pick, like a fifth rounder. It works kind of like the, uh, 
Well, I guess it doesn't. It's what makes what makes a, a collegiate player uh, available for the supplemental draft. You, what am I? You are. I don't know what the exact circumstances are, but you 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 declare yourself. You're eligible to be declared for the draft, but you declare after the deadline, and you're you're not. You didn't make the real draft, and Walsh must have done this uh, strategically. Okay. And so then you go in the supplemental draft, and they basically do it on the phone, and they, unlike the, like the way the baseball rule five draft is, that draft goes as long as teams will keep picking, but once you don't pick in a round, you're done. So like if, if you're the Cubs and you take a guy in the first round of the rule five draft, you don't take somebody in the second round, you're you're done. If you didn't okay. take anybody in the first round, you're done. That's not, not the way the supplemental draft rolls. They basically, they just go one through 32. You know, it's your turn. Do you have anybody to pick? You can say no. Then they go to yep. round two and you and can do it done. again. That way you can strategically go, I like this guy. We could, we give up a six for him, but nothing better than that. So you wait to see if he's still there in the sixth round and you pick him. So well, anybody you select in the supplemental draft is going to cost you a pick in the real upcoming, the yes. next, the you're next time the upcoming the next, And they do it like in the, in the summertime, I think. So you're picking. You've already know you've given up that pick. And so, so Jimmy Cow- is like, "Fuck it, the guys are. I can always find a first round draft pick. If I want Steve Walsh. I'll just take him right now." And he did. So okay. now it's three years later, and Jimmy is trading him to the Saints in season. It's not, but it's not even three three years later because if you said that Walsh was the quarterback of Catholics versus convicts when Notre Dame won eighty nine ninety, this this would have been Walsh's 80- third year then, right? No, wait. No, it was second because 88 was when Notre Dame beat Miami and won the national All championship. Right, figure this out and 89 was when Craig Erickson converted the third and 50 from his own three. Well, I know Steve um, Walsh played in the Catholics versus Convicts game. I remember that. Then then he had to be a rookie in 89. So, um, okay, so maybe only two years with the Cowboys. Or what are you saying? But, one he, year? He, but he probably played, maybe he started the season in Dallas. There, so Jimmy must have traded him to the Saints. Oh yeah, you're right. Abe, yep, yep, yep. He, he played. Out. He, played he started. Like he, started Johnson, I know. he started five games for the '89 Cowboys, and then he played in one game in '90. But the, he played. But then he got traded in New Orleans, and in '90 made played in 12 games for the Saints, and made 11 starts. And and can only conduct 40 percent. <laughs> 12 touchdowns, 13 interceptions. Here's what they gave up to get Steve Walsh. Yeah, do they list transactions on football reference? I'm not as uh They well don't, versed. but CBS was more than happy to tell you during the broadcast oh, yeah. what they gave up. They gave up a 1991 first rounder. They gave up a 1991 second rounder. Wow. They gave up a 1992 second rounder that could, that could have been a first had Walsh met certain uh uh-huh. not incentives, but Milestones. Uh, let's just say That's he did right. not make meet those. So it was a no. first, a second, and a second to get that Steve Walsh, who played that. so well that they immediately caved and gave Bobby a bear his contract and turned Walsh back into <laughs> a backup. What a disaster! Yes, uh, and that crippled the franchise because they sort of dis. I I want to say, um, well, they made one more playoff appearance because I know for a fact that Jim Moore was zero three. So I guess this is maybe more, you know, sort of at the peak, but it, it was just a few years later where they, um, yeah, 92, they made the playoffs and actually won their first game, but then, uh, or they lost the Eagles, but then they were out for almost a decade. So but they, that, uh, had, that had to catch up to them a little bit, I bet. Steve Walsh trade, I'm going to go out on a limb, not the worst trade in Saints history. 
Right. I was going to say, like, how many draft picks did the Saints just trade away in the decade of the 90s? <laughs> well, they gave away uh, nine in one they, trade. They, Remember, they, they, we went through that, and not only was it every pick that year's draft, they also threw in a first-rounder the next year. Jesus. Wow. Wow. Yeah. So I think that renders the Saints having the fewest Steve gets off, Steve is off to an auspicious start uh, against the Bears. Uh, he throws an interception to John Mangum. On the, first, on the first possession. So that now trotting onto the field is the bear quarterback who Vern describes as the beleaguered Mike Tomzak. Yep. Who a week before had had such a brutal game against the Chiefs, he was literally booed off the field by the Bear fans. There you go. Not even Johnny Bailey's 95-yard punt return could could pick up their right. spirits, thanks to Mike Tomzak. I, I thought as soon as funny as soon as I saw Johnny Bailey go back to return the first punt, I'm like, oh, I remember the time he had the 95-yard punt return. And yeah. goes, he had a 95-yard punt return last week. I also remember Ditka find him because he wasn't supposed to field the ball, field punts inside the tent. Yeah, you don't get too many 95-yard punt returns. Right. But yeah, Johnny Bailey, hot rookie, and finally validated uh, all the hype in the last game of the season. Um, I, I, we talked about it before the show, Tom Zach, we've ripped on him justifiably. He was kind of a smarmy. He was a local guy, but it, that did not endear him. No. And it doesn't always, it, it's proof too that, you know, we're critical thinkers. You don't get a free pass. just good for you from around here. Todd only. Um, and uh, Tom Zach was an undrafted. He was, he was so fortunate and he played at Ohio state, but he went dr- undrafted. He was from Calumet city and the bears just took a flyer on him and stored him on the roster in 85. And then because the bears did really no real thinking and planning uh, around that position for the, uh, for the you know, mid to the late eighties. And they had a human, you know, a human crash test dummy at their quarterback and Jim McMahon. Tom Zach started getting a lot of snaps and basically eventually played to his level uh, to the point where, you know, Jim Harbaugh was a first round pick in 87. And of course, Harbaugh was, you know, Tom Zach would always give him attitude and Tom Zach would suck up to McMahon and they, you know, teamed up against Doug Flutie. I never, I never liked Tom Zach. He was never that good. He was always sort of in the eye because of that poor, you know, planning. But by 1990, um, you know, he was a rival of Harbaugh, who is now in his fourth season. Harbaugh won the job and was the quarterback, and they got off to a good start in 1990. It was coming off the year in which everything fell apart, and they missed the playoffs for the first time in six seasons. Um, but in 1990, they were doing really well, and I'm not going to say it was Harbaugh's injury that sort of you know slowed them down, but it didn't help. So by the time they crawl into the playoff game, uh, there he is still six years later, Mike Tomzak about to make his final uh, NFL start. So uh, interesting that Lunk was that, that it was pretty widely acknowledged already that Tomzak, nobody was, nobody was going to the mat for Tomzak by January well, of 1991. Here, this was a stat line against the chiefs the week before when the bear fans booed, uh, he, he completed five of 23 passes for 85 yards. That'll get you booed, even by Bear fans who have a very low, <laughs> a very low threshold for quarterback play. They're like, oh, this is no good. For the season, Tom Zack completed 37.5% of his passes. Wow. Wow. So to that point, the Bears, on I believe the second play of the game, throw a pass, but it's not Mike Tom Zack throwing the pass. <laughs> it is Neil Anderson with a 22-yard throw to Ron Morris. The great Ron Morris, Ron Morris, who wore construction gloves for part of his career because that was how he learned how to catch a football 
was with the construction gloves. Finally, some wide receiver coach went, what the fuck are you doing? No, take those off, you moron. They make actual sticky gloves. You're going to use those. So Maybe, <laughs> he, know, don't, maybe Rod, he only did it in practice because then it would be easier in the game Rod, without the gloves. I don't know, but I know he used to wear I, – I, I still think of it. This is what a moron I am because, like, when I put my gloves on, if I'm out, you know, working around, I, um, I'll be like, oh, Ron Morris. I always think of him. No, I never knew that. Rod Morris went to SMU around the time they got the death penalty. So I'm thinking maybe academics weren't too terribly enforced. Now, I may be conflating Ron Morris with Chris Morris, the former Utah Jazz forward. But when I picture Ron Morris, I picture a guy who has his eyebrows are basically a mustache above his eyes. Could be. He had a a mustache also. So almost like he bracketed his eyes because he had the, (laughs) I think it was just like one big, thick monobrow. I know Chris Morris also had the monobrow. Maybe that's where that came in. Or maybe they're cousins. Yeah. Now, uh, you might be right. I remember, I sort of remember his look. I also, like a lot of shitty receivers, had high hopes for Ron Morris uh, when they first got him. I want to say in 86, Wendell Davis was better. But Wendell Davis also playing in this game. Yeah, going ready too. Yeah, still has both of his patella tendons when in this game is happening. That is nice. Three years from blowing them out in Philly. Um, Vern lets us know the Bears had the number two run offense in football, and they had the number twenty-eight pass offense in football. How many teams do you think there were in nineteen eighty? <laughs> Wait, number one in, <laughs> in, in rushing and twenty-eight in passing. Number two in rushing, twenty-eight in passing. Two. Yes, there were twenty-eight teams. Wow, there were 20, twenty-eight yeah, teams in the 20. NFL, and the Bears were twenty-eighth in passing. Yeah, that's great. Um, so Neil gets lit up on his pa- and Neil's left-handed. So they're running it. Neil's running to the left, and he pops up to pass, and he's completely surprised to all the Saints except for the one guy who's chasing him. And Ron Morris is open, and Neil goes back to throw, and he gets hit as he throws. And honestly, everybody's making a big deal out of uh, Ryan Fitzpatrick's pass from a couple of weeks ago, where he gets the face mask pulled away, and he just yeah. blindly throws it. Neil, this is this is just as good a pass. He's being hit. And he, he his arm is like going the wrong direction, and yet the ball goes right to Ron Morris for 22 yards. Wow! Proof that Neil Anderson, second best all around uh, player the Bears have ever had. I I prefer maybe more than Forte. Is it time for that? I, I feel Forte passes Matt pass. Forte throw. Huh? Wow! Uh, you said football Neil, player too. Neil threw at least bad, one. So. Yeah. Um, Actually, I just I love Neil Anderson. This was I like his. Him. This was his third straight thousand yard season and his yep. final thousand yard yeah. season. Yeah, he kind of he kind of just fell his off. Went. And honestly, when you if you rewatch this game and see how many hits he took, you could yeah. probably see why. <laughs> well, and I think we were a little bit maybe um, jaded by the uh, anomaly that was Walter Payton's yeah. long assumed, and uninjured career. Right. I think Anderson's more par for the course. You got to run him back. He's going to get like three to five solid seasons in the middle, and that's a very good running back, which he was. And then, boom, see ya. So it felt weird, like, wow, he just kind of disappeared. Well, no, actually, that's usually how it works for running backs. So after the pass, the Bears end up getting down. They have a first and goal at about the four, which turns into a third and goal at the four, which, <laughs> then, turns, which then turns into a 19-yard Kevin Butler field goal. So we talked about the, the game. You know, I don't want the spoiler alert. The Bears do win this game, folks. But we talked about their playoff game after this early in the season because it was against the Giants. The Bears played the Giants, and yep. we did a little bit of a dive. And you uh, you re-examined a similar series, and, and like Madden's like – this is where the game can go south. Yeah, the Bears got to stay in the game. But, yeah, it was like a first and goal, 
and you just kind of like the Bears out after that first drive on Sunday, where it just increasingly felt when they get inside the twenty, they're just not they're going to struggle. But that's how it felt. That's how it was in nineteen ninety for sure. So, <laughs> so this was also great. So Butler goes to kickoff, and CBS, whoever their stat guy was, was all over it in this game. Um, the stat pops up that. Vern says, Butler, Ditka is dissatisfied with the distance on Butler's kickoffs. And that is eventually what would, what would get, would, Wani would run Butler out of town for the same reason. What, uh, yeah. Six the years, fact that five Butler, years later? Butler missed two makeable field goals in two separate seasons in which uh, a Bears victory would have met them going to the playoffs. Yes. So I can, I can cut Wanstat some slack that Butler so, really. So CBS, to back up Ditka's assertion, shows this. Butler kicked off 78 times in 1990, five touchbacks. Wow. One in his final 51 kickoffs. He uh, he had a lot of touchbacks as a, early in his career. Yeah, he, so he, had, was a, obviously... yeah, he, he had a great leg. When they, uh, I remember that was one of the things that they pointed to when he was coming out of Georgia. You know, the fact that he, you know, once kicked a sixty-eight-yard field goal and and that he had a shitload amount of touchbacks. Um, the fact that he was he was no longer able to do that in nineteen ninety, but that he continued to play another seven seasons is, I guess, pretty impressive. So the Saints running backs in this game were uh, Dalton Hilliard. How about future Bear Ironhead? Ironhead Hayward's playing fullback for them. And then the guy who ended up getting the most action for whatever reason, do you remember College of Holy Cross star Gil Fennerty? No, I don't remember. Gil Fennerty. So for a, for a good part of this game, we had Gil Fennerty running the ball for the Saints and Brad Muster running uh, for the Bears. So I am thinking this might have been the last great playoff battle of white running backs. Could be. I mean, I mean, you know, Chris. Somebody needs Chris, poor Christian McCaffrey. McCaffrey somebody else but, has got to get a white running back, and then he can he can do it. And he's elite, yeah. And I was at the Bears game in 2003. I saw it with my own eyes when Brock Forsey got 100 yards. So, uh, but I don't think the <laughs> certainly a playoff game for sure. It just kind of shows you the caliber of this particular playoff game. So Madden was marveling at the fact that the Bears. Had gone twelve and four one season after a disastrous collapse. He was basically giving yep. Ditka a lot of credit for it. it looked like it, the end was nigh, and all of a sudden the Bears were twelve and four. Obviously, yeah. No. So were they, yeah. I wonder were they playing in the wildcard games? They had the well, they had added one. That's why, right. even as a division t- champion, they weren't the Niners, who were 14-2. and two. So After the Super Bowl, the Bears only won two playoff games. One was this one. The other one was the Fog Bowl. Yep. Um, and I've mentioned, I've made this point before, only because it, it kind of cracks me up at the at the coincidence and the fact that I, I did, in fact, win a Mac Yurko and Harry t-shirt from ESPN 1000 when I called in and correctly answered the question, which at the time was the three coaches in NFL history that had been to the playoffs at least three times and never won once. And I knew both, it came to me. I'm like, well, because they both played the Bears. Buddy Ryan never won a playoff game. And he had some good teams. Um, And Jim Moore, you know, uh, turned out to never have done it. And I just find it funny that the only two victories of Mike Ditka's uh, playoff career was (laughs) against both of those coaches. You know, throwing a big stadium full of fog against Buddy Ryan and, 
you know, what else against the Saints? It just kind of accentuates how disappointing things really were after the Super Bowl. Those were their only playoff wins. But in 88, they were division champs. In 87, division champs. They had a wild card back then, but the NFC uh, Central was so pathetic that the Bears would always traipse right through it. So, yeah, they they the Bears won the division in 90, but because of the expanded playoffs, I think that was the first time a division winner does not you know, has to play that first weekend. And so that's, that's why, uh, even though they won the division, they were playing in the wild card weekend, which is. Yeah. Cause the, um, the Niners and the giants had the buys and the bears had to play. Yep. And uh, that, that summed up the whole decade of the eighties, really outside of 85, <laughs> the bears were the third wheel and you know, you could throw the Redskins in there. Really? The bears were fourth. really were fourth. Yes. The Redskins had won the day before. So they must have then had to have gone out to San Francisco as the Bears were headed off to New York. Yep, there you go. Um, okay, so um, Bears stop the Saints again. Saints punt. Uh, former Bear star Tommy Barnhart punting for uh-huh. the Saints. Wait, would that be future Bear or former Bear? Uh, it was former because they said he was former Bear. Okay, yeah, I think he was around the strike era or something like that, right? Somewhere after Maury Buford or? That could have been, yeah. And then Buford came back. All right. This is yeah. This was Maury's return, and he was okay. not punting well apparently, but he was back. Uh, the punt hit uh, Vesty Jackson in the ass, and the uh, Saints recovered at the forty-six. It was one of those God where man. Johnny let it drop. Vesty's blocking. Nobody's yelling that the ball is there, and it just bounces right off Vesty's butt, right into the arms yeah. of a of a Saint. I remember having high hopes for Vesty Jackson. He was one of the guys they drafted immediately after the Super Bowl, and then cornerback was their weak spot. Uh, at least one cornerback, but well, this this was a very good secondary. This was rookie of the year, Mark Carrier. Yes, Sean like Gale. Sean Gale was a good, very Donnell good player. Wolford. And then cool. it, was, it was Lem Stinson, but then we talked about Lem last week. But Lem got hurt, and so Vesti was back as the starting uh, corner. Okay, so okay. Vesti was the weak link, but uh, the Saint quarterbacks, and it's plural because um, Walsh doesn't Walsh make it. They didn't. They had. They were ill-equipped to even pick on Vesty Jackson. So uh, Vern gives us a little tidbit that Ron Rivera, because the Bears linebackers, Mike Singletary, yeah. Ron Rivera, Jim Morrissey. Rivera had moved up to being a starter because Wilbur Marshall was gone and Otis, I think, had retired. Otis ended right up with Oakland. Went to the Raiders. Yeah. 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 Blew his knee out with the Raiders. LA, I should say. Yeah. Ron Rivera playing on a broken leg. Jack hey, Jack Young, check out the Hispanic check Jack Youngblood. All right. Vern emphasized it was a non-weight-bearing bone in his leg, and Rivera had told Madden that he was running just a couple of days after he broke it. Madden said, well, doesn't it hurt? And Rivera said to him, well, of course it hurts. I have a broken leg, which Madden <laughs> thought was hilarious. <laughs> so he was happy to repeat that. Good for Chico. Uh, Saints don't. Saints end up start with the ball on the bare 46. They have a fourth and nine at the Bears' 30. And looking across and seeing Mike Tomczak playing quarterback for the Bears, they go for it, but they don't make it. So now the Bears are going to capitalize, and they immediately run a reverse to Ron Morris, uh, who fumbles it and loses 16 yards. Oh, my God. This is a playoff game? Which then prompts Madden to notice that there's three minutes left in the first quarter, and Mike Tomczak hasn't attempted a pass. Wow. <laughs> He's like, he hasn't thrown a pass yet. Neil Anderson has, but Mike Tomczak hasn't thrown a pass yet. <sighs> but then he does, and he completes one. Um, there's only Great. one touchdown in this entire game, 
and it's a pass from Mike Tomzak to someone. Do you know who scored the only Bears touchdown? Have we mentioned him already? We I don't think not. we have, the way you asked that question. Uh, was it RoboCop? It was. Was it James Thornton? James Thornton. And one of the best things about it was um, the play before the touchdown, I think it was a Neil Anderson run down to like the six, and there's a flag on the field. Uh, James Thornton had jumped off sides. <laughs> so, <laughs> so clearly he knew what the next play call was going to be if they were, you know, if they weren't first and goal. So he's like, screw it, I want to get the ball. So he just jumps off sides on purpose. False starts on purpose. Play gets brought back. Next play, Tom Zach finds him in the flat, runs up, scores a touchdown. Brilliant. Now that's there, a touchdown. But there's a yet Go another ahead. great anecdote from Vern and John who <laughs> said that in warm-ups, Thornton sprained his ankle. And Vern claims he had to be carried off the field. And then what? An hour later, he's running down the sidelines for a touchdown. So better okay. looking through chemistry, I guess. You have, well, there's that. Um, or they just taped his I, ankle. Or he didn't really have get any, carried off. Do you have any like particular thoughts when you hear, when you think of James Thornton Robocop? Because like. That he sucked. Like, I, yes. Thank you. And that he was actually kind of a big wuss. Like, yep. you know, he, he, he he, he was nicknamed RoboCop because of his physique. Yes. And he was like this huge muscular uh, tight end, but uh, he couldn't take a hit. And so it kind of it strikes me as appropriate that he would have to be carried yeah. off for a twisted ankle, like a, you know, like a soccer player, and then come back out still. Sure, Steve Kazer so. jumped all over him in the locker room. You get, you're taping your ankle up and you're playing. We still had Steve Kayser. He had not been replaced by Daniel Bramowitz yet. I guess yet. that adds up. Okay. When did DK have his heart attack? 88. So Kayser was on the I Save Mike Ditka's Life. Oh, train. good memory. He wasn't losing that job. He was the one of the guy in the weight room who <laughs> saw Ditka have the heart attack. And I, I want I to say that Ditka. Called for the trainer. I want to say that Ditka actually uh, inherited Kayser. There was some staff that, you know, Ditka didn't, you know, it may have been different back then anyway, but when was Neil Armstrong Kayser was Kayser one fired, of Neil Armstrong's fellow astronauts? Yes, I think so. One well, of, we one know the, it's one true. One of the Mercury <laughs> 7, you got to stick well, around. I, I, and I could be wrong. Like, I know Buddy Ryan, like the old man Hallis, made sure that Buddy Ryan stayed on the staff for Ditka. And, you know, that, of course, you know, kind of created lifelong tension. Um, but I don't even, which is funny, I don't think that Ditka hired Kayser. Uh, I think, you know, when I hear Kayser's name, I think uh, the guy who, you know, pulled off the gimmick play that blew out Les Frazier's knee in the Super Bowl. Yeah. But I guess he'd still be there in 1990. So, on, <laughs> so on the ensuing uh, series, Bears are up 10 nothing now. On the ensuing series for the uh, Saints, John Roper bats down a Steve Walsh pass, which immediately reminded me of how John Roper's career ended. Do you remember? Yes, that? yes, I do. It was yes. after he got traded from the Bears. Like he gets, he gets a golden ticket, gets out of like a, a depressing Bears team and into like the hallow, which was already a, a peak form Jimmy Johnson, well-run <laughs> Dallas Cowboys machine. Like, think about how fortunate you have to be. Yep. I'll let you take the story the rest of the way because it's hilarious. What so he gets traded to the Cowboys, and in his first season with the Cowboys, he is shockingly cut. And when asked why he cut him, Jimmy said, "Oh, he fell asleep in a meeting." And you they, imagine. Said, they said to Jimmy, "Is like, so you cut anybody who falls asleep in a meeting? He said, if John Roper falls asleep in a meeting, I cut him. <laughs> if Troy Aikman so... falls asleep in a meeting, I wake him up and ask if he wants a pillow. 
That's a great line by Jimmy. I never heard that. You know, I think it was a mid-season trade. It was like a you know, Jimmy was always wheeling and dealing, man. It's funny. We was that Steve the Vincent Walsh, Smith like, trade? Is that who the Bears did the Bears get Vincent Smith in that trade? Vincent Smith and Barry Minter, I believe. Um, and they traded both Co- both uh, Roper and maybe Ron Cox. They were like both of these nondescript linebackers that that probably should have been named not Ron Rivera and whoever Marshall because they were just you know they they kind of you kind of associate them together. Uh, I think they might have both been rookies in 1990 because when Roper got cut, it was like the year after I think Dallas won the Super Bowl. Yeah, I think it was so I think it was like the 1993 that, yeah. that he got traded and then didn't last. Like the, Midst of it, which just yeah, can you imagine like getting a ticket out of town and finding yourself in that organization and then falling asleep in a meeting? It's <laughs> a great quote, too. So, so the Bears get the ball back, and uh, Tomzak completes another couple of passes. And Madden says, Ever since that pass to Thornton, Tomzak is uh, has confidence now, he could throw three or four touchdowns. No, <laughs> no, sorry, and then Madden continues to defend him. He's like, I don't, he goes, I don't really get the booing. I mean, he's 22 and 10 as a starter. It's not as if he hasn't done something. It's like, John, he's playing quarterback for one of the best teams in the NFL. Where basically all he had to do was not fuck it up. And he still lost 10 times. That's why he's yes. getting booed. Yes. Premier defense, solid run. I mean, the, the succession from Peyton to Anderson was pretty seamless. Yeah. Uh, Hall of Fame lineman. I, here's a question. Do you know, And uh, well, you watched the game. Was Jimbo Covert still playing for the Bears? Was he in this game? Yes. Uh, this was his second to last game. Oh, man. And late in the – because uh, it was also Hampton's second to last. It was their last home game, both Hampton that and I knew. Hampton, Hampton everybody knew Hampton was retiring. Nobody knew Colbert was going to. And late in the game, this, the Bears still have the Super Bowl line. It's still Covert, Van Horn, Bortz, Thayer, and Hilgenberg. Wow. Covert was the first one to go. And late in the game, he is laying on the ground and can barely get up. Like knowing now he retired because of a bad back, you could almost see it. Like he has to like roll over so he can push himself up because he can't just sit up and get up. Yeah, 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 yeah. In fact, late in the game, um, somebody somebody else was in, whoever number 73 was in 1990, and I thought, oh, shit, is Covert out? But Covert was still playing, so that wasn't it. Okay, right, But yeah, right. And, and as soon as I saw that, I went to Covert's pro football reference page to see what his last year was, and it was, yeah, it was it. Okay, well, and that and that just further accentuates your point about Tom Zach, right, with you know great defense, good running game, and really, I, mean, I know that those linemen were getting a little long in the tooth, but it's the same line. And those are all above average linemen. So he had the benefit of everything he could. Yeah. And, and I don't even think like Ron Morris and Wendell Davis, they might have been had better careers with a decent quarterback. They weren't bad as it was, really, even though they were, you know. Yeah. So, I mean, I don't remember them dropping a lot of well-placed passes. Pinky so. Gentry was still there. Number 29. He gets a big he get big 38-yard reception from Tom Zach late in the game that kind of seals it. Um. Excellent. Which Madden says something like, boy, when that guy's healthy, he does nothing but make big plays. It's like, no, normally (laughs) he runs a draw. In fact, the Bears have like a third and 11 late in the game. And I'm like, oh, it's going to be a draw to Pinky. It was a draw draw to Neil Anderson. (laughs) So close. That was Ditka's go-to forever. 31 years later, or 30 years later, I can call all Ditka's plays for him. And I'm sure I could at the time when I was a kid. Certainly a third and a left, third and a long. You'll be heartened to know oh. that at one point in this first quarter, the Bears had a fourth and seven at the New Orleans 35, and they threw a six-yard pass to Ron Morris and then lost the ball. There also were uh, – instant replay was a thing, 
And um, still, even a year what? after it hosed the Bears, so they didn't quite just get rid of it after they fucked it up in the Bears game. So Brett Perriman made a leaping, kind of bobbling catch, and when he hit the ground, the ball came loose, and they called it incomplete. And then it was all it was being reviewed. And Madden was like, well, it's a catch. He had the ball when he hit the ground. A reminder that this, you have to survive the catch bullshit, was not a thing back then. Right. That, that like came out of nowhere during the Calvin, also in Soldier Field, basically on the same end of the field where Brett Perriman did this. I gotcha. Um, and, but they, they, uh, Jerry Seaman was the ref. Uh, his, okay. And this was great. This was, un, this was running comedy for Vern and uh, Madden. Seaman's microphone didn't work. But every time there was a penalty, he would go over and flip the thing and say what it was, and nobody could hear him. Uh-huh. And so by the end of the game, CBS put up that Jerry Seaman had set a record for most penalties called uh, or most announcements made on a dead microphone at 21. Wow. And when he made another one while they were doing it, they immediately changed the graphic to 22. That's some pretty so, slick and so cheeky even, production. Even the people in the truck were having a good time yeah. doing this. Yeah, thing. yeah. Um, you know who the center for the Saints was? Uh, center for the – can you say it like it's a name I should know – was he a uh, a one? It was a former or future bear? Uh, no, he's the uh, brother of a bear. I was going to say Hilgenberg, yes, right? Joel Hilgenberg. Right. All right. So I knew that Hilgenberg had a brother because he also had an uncle, Wally Hilgenberg, yep. that was on Vern, the Vikings. Vern brought um, him up. Yes. Uh, yeah. Right. Vikings line in the. So I was going to. I was going to say Hilgenberg. I don't know why I hesitated. I was like, wasn't sure if it was like dads and uncles, but he actually did have a brother, and that now it's it's coming back to me. What I, one of the all time great quotes, and you might have remembered hearing this from Jay Hilgenberg, was he said that you know because his 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 fa- his uncle was actually a guard. Okay, but whatever. He was a lineman. His brother was a center. His dad, I think, was a center, although not an NFL player. And he said that uh, when we play catch in the backyard, we just snap the ball to each other through our legs. Yep, that was. I was sure Madden, because Madden loved to tell that story. I was sure Madden was going to tell it because Madden always said the Elgerbergs are the only brothers who play catch and don't face each other. That's right. <laughs> uh, but he didn't. But he did. But he didn't completely let me down because he did use his favorite Jay Hilgenberg quote, which was the best thing about being a, a football player is you don't have to take a shower before you go to work. Madden loved that. <laughs> that's a total that's yeah. peak Madden so right there. Vern claims that the Hilgenberg, the, Jay and Joel and their dad all played center at Iowa. Vern okay. said that uh, the dad, Jerry, because they all had to have a Jay, uh, uh-huh. went to Iowa as a quarterback. But during his and freshman then, year, um, they didn't they, have a center who could reliably snap the ball. And I'm sure this was some kind of wing T single wing thing where the center was basically, you had to be able to snap it to like one of three different guys. So it was almost like uh-huh. being a quarterback except upside down. And they made Jerry the center. And Jay claimed that had, had dad stayed a quarterback, uh, him and Joel would have both been NFL quarterbacks <laughs> instead of NFL wow. centers. Yeah, it was and they would, kidding, have made, uh, sure. they would have made Jared Lorenzen look like Doug Flutie. I mean, it just seems like an awfully they're, large... They're a I'm tiny ass- little bunch. I'm um, assuming old man Gutenberg was a big fellow. All right. Jay told some weird story to men about when his first couple of years in the NFL, he went, he, he went home for the summer, and Joel was playing at Iowa, and they went out in the yard, and they wrestled each other for 30 minutes, and he couldn't, neither one of them could get the other guy on the ground. And that's when he knew Joel was like ready to be an NFL center. Okay. And I'm like, Joel's younger brother. Yes. I'm like, did you guys really try to wrestle for a half hour? 
And nobody got it. It's like, I think that I, that, that might have been a little Probably excessive. some uh, embellishment. Did they grow up in Iowa? Did Hilgenberger or they just I they don't... all went to Okay. Interesting. Yeah, I like Jay. Another That's cool funny. thing we got in the game was uh, Wendell, the aforementioned Wendell Davis caught a pass over on the sidelines where he's clearly out of bounds, but it was call, it was a call to catch. And why was it called to catch? Because the defensive back forced him out of bounds. He that's when refs used to be able to say, well, he would have landed in bounds. So it's a catch. Right? There is no damn well way Wendell Davis was going to land in bounds on that. But the Bears right. got the catch because the defensive back shoved him into like the third the row. Play would have been the feedback to recognize that he was sailing out of bounds on his own and not touch him. Yeah. Uh, and that is right. That's not a rule anymore, no, right? Like you no. can now they reward the defensive back. If you could shove him out of bounds, then it's Do incomplete. It. Yeah. Yes. Okay. All right. So, but yeah, back then that was a legit call. You know, you get you you obviously it's, you're leaving your feet. Oh, Davis left his feet. Right. right. I got ahead of myself though. It was ruled incomplete uh, because when they reviewed it, they ruled that Wendell was juggling the pass. So he had possession. Not that he, but the uh, and then and Madden got confused about how they could review that because it's a judgment call. Yes. John never did figure out. Although Jerry Seaman was doing the juggling motion. But you couldn't uh-huh. hear. Sure. So I'm Is watching. I'm like, oh, they said Wendell didn't actually catch the pass. It was that, and it, that, that almost seems a little bit similar to the giving him the business signal. Do you remember <laughs> that one? The uh, red cashing. Oh, nice. Yes. 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 Um, oh, then I told you there were two two things that came up in the game that I knew would. One was the Hilgenberg didn't take a sh- uh, don't have to take a shower. I really thought the don't play catch facing each other man was going. He didn't get to that. But the next one, as soon as that happened, Vern was more than happy to tee him up. So Moore Buford is back to punt, and it's so windy that the snap gets blown to Maury's right. He literally uh-huh. like has to like run a little bit to the right to catch uh-huh. it, and he shanks a 19 yard punt, to uh-huh. which Vern says. Hey, John, have you ever seen the wind cause that kind of havoc with a punt and soldier field? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. There's he knew setup. exactly what. And so it then, been five years right. at that point. So then uh, my dad would have loved, I'm sure, I, I, I know I was in the living room watching this game with my dad. Um, he always called Sean Landetta the whiffer because Madden called him the whiffer. Well, this was uh-huh. the game where Madden referred to him as the whiffer. Excellent. He goes, oh, yeah, I remember that was in that end zone in the uh, – yeah. In a sure. NFC play, in a, in a playoff game just like this, and right, right. Uh, Sean Landon pulled the old whiffer. In a playoff game just like this, except with two really good teams, yes. yeah, <laughs> much different. Um, and also, it was not nearly as cold. I don't think so, the Giants game was cold. So on that drive, Steve McMichael and William Perry combine to sack Steve Walsh. Uh-huh. No, they don't sack him. He throws a pass left-handed to avoid the sack. He's running to the left, so he puts the ball on his left hand. He throws it to avoid the sack. Both of them land yeah. on him, and he injures his shoulder. Uh-huh. And into the game comes John Forcade. Uh-huh. Now, this was not John Forcade's first game at Soldier Field. And this actually ties in, with, this ties in with Sunday's game. Right. Okay. Because John Forcade was a scab. The uh-huh. 1987 replacement Saints, who played yep. in the third and final replacement game at Soldier Field, where one of the two Bear quarterbacks that day was Sean Payton. Saints coach Sean Payton. Yeah, wow. Way to weave that yes. and bring it full circle. I October thought October 18th, 1987. I thought Four Kid was a strike breaker. I didn't remember. I remember the Bears played the Eagles. So they lost to the Saints. That was their only loss. They went two and one with yep. Mike Cohen C. And like, yeah, there were guys that that crossed the picket line and were competent enough to um, 
to be extended offers when the strike ended, like Glenn Kozlowski. You know, there are a few, a few of them for the Bears. Every team had a few. Uh, 4K made a career out of it because I want to say, um, well, he, I, th- I think he was the quarterback for a few years afterwards. But you said Bear came back after the season, so never mind that. Yeah, but yeah. 4K was, he was the backup for at least a few years. Although, clearly, Moore okay. didn't have a lot of confidence in him considering he traded three draft picks to get Steve Walsh. So, it, John Forcade wouldn't be the starter. <laughs> right. Well, okay, but that's before. But that was and that was during the season. So somehow, boy, I got to tell you that eighty, you know, Al Harris and Todd Bell must have looked at each other when they saw people holding out in '87 because that was a good year to hold out, or or would it have been? I'm, I'm just thinking out loud because three weeks into the season was when the strike happened, and then there was a week with no games, and then three weeks with scab games, and then they came back. So somewhere in that mix is when uh, the Saints made the decision to. Get Walsh and Jimmy. Well, no, because this was this was ninety. This was ninety. Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah. I'm sorry. Yeah, I'm talking out of my ass. Yeah. Skip it. Yeah, my bad. Yeah, Walsh was still in college in '87. Yeah. Um, like to have the so now we're college. getting we're getting down towards halftime, and CBS gives the first shot of the of a snowball fight, and they Ooh, can't quite understand why. Um, the first half. Yeah, right at the end, right towards uh, Morton Anderson is getting ready to kick a field goal right before the end of the half, and CBS is showing a lot of Bear fans throwing snowballs at what they assume are other Bear fans. Well, we find out later they were they they'd found out who the Saints fans were, and they were throwing snowballs at the Saints fans, which I you know I can kind of get behind. <laughs> I just think it was Don, a little Don Person wrote but, a whole pissy know. little article about it the next day. Did he? Yeah. Yeah, tough Don. Yeah, I like Don Pearson, and uh, you know it was funny. I, I just in my memory, I thought that was like the end of the game, like you know, just adding insult to injury to the fans. But yeah, they they were getting started early. Um, okay, so this was the part of the game after Walsh had been knocked out, where they they ran down that the, the Saints had traded a first and a second and another second for him on the twenty fifth uh-huh. of September. Uh, Walsh would only start ten more games for New Orleans. Um. In 91 and 93, he did not play at all in 92. He was on the team. He just never got into a game. They must have been wow. Bobby Bear okay. all the time in 92. Yeah, but he was rostered. Well, they had to justify keeping. They couldn't get rid yeah, of him. So they kept him for three. Went, I guess they had him for four years. And then he, So he came directly to the Bears and after he was, that. Yeah, then okay. he was signed as a free agent with the beloved Bears. He was so excited about coming back to the scene of his play, um, playoff triumph. That he yes. with the Bears. And then he and would then, actually have a playoff triumph for the Bears. He would. And, uh, yeah, he was signed as Eric Kramer's backup. And then, of course, when Kramer got hurt, he dinked and dunked the Bears into the playoffs. Uh, yes. And he so. did, did something no Bear quarterback has done since, although Mitch can do it on Sunday. Or Nick Foles, depending on how long Mitch uh, is upright. Yeah. yeah. Um, is win. win a road playoff game. You know, the Bears have not played a road playoff game since then either. Yes, Amazingly. Love you yes. never he never coached it on the road and neither I'm gonna did get Ron. to the I'm gonna get to the sad rundown of okay. playoff games after that here. Yeah, let's get back to the scintillating Bears Saints game. Do, do, do they make the field goal around the time that the Saints are getting pelted at the end of the first half? Uh yes. Mort makes that one. So it's uh what, ten to three. At halftime? Okay. Yes. Um, Bears, Bears just storming into the Meadowlands for the, the second round. So the Bears get the ball to start. Um, is that right? Yes. 
the Bears get the ball to start the second half. And they keep it for eight minutes. Uh, okay. Included in that, however, is at one point they try a field goal. And the Saints block it. And Vince Buck returns it for a touchdown. To Vince cut, Buck. To tie the game at 10. However, Robert Massey might have lined up offsides. There wasn't, the CBS couldn't quite find an angle that showed that he was actually lined up in the neutral zone, but the refs called it. Freaking break. Yes. So Jim Mora lost his mind on the sidelines. I bet. The closest thing they could come to, and I kind of thought, I kind of agreed with Vern, it looked like the Bears were kicking from the 28. You couldn't really, but because of the mass of bodies up at the line and the limited, it's not HD. That's the other thing when you see replays. Yeah. it's you. You think of replay now with all the angles and HD, and you can yeah, see yeah. every can see like the the dimples on the ball. You can't see shit in 1990. Um, it looked like the ball was on the 28 when it was snapped, and Massey's hand was just over. He's on a hash mark, and his hand is just over it. So yeah. he's like, okay, well, he probably was offside, but you can't really tell where the ball is because it's just a mass of bodies where the ball is. Um, so anyway, so the Bears get to keep the ball. At this point, Mike Tomczak has thrown eight consecutive incomplete passes. <laughs> That's more like it. After after converting his first one, after almost an entire quarter of not even attempting one, he ends up putting together a streak like yes. that. It had to be a normalization in there. Butler gets a second chance at the field goal, makes it 13-3 Bears. Okay. Uh, well, here's another tie-in with the game on Sunday. Uh, at 13-3, um, Morton Anderson lines up to kick a 42-yard field goal, and it is blocked by Matt Nagy's agent. Yeah, so Trace, the same Trace Armstrong who was drafted alongside Donnell Wolford in yes. 1989 out of Florida in the first round, that is the same. He is Matt Nagy's agent. Yes, you that you referenced Armstrong. that five days ago, and I was like doing the whole like whoa, um, wow, goal number 93. Talk about a poor man's Dan Hampton. Um, and he there, blocked the kick. All right. Well, good for him. So then early in the fourth quarter, there is a the game is delayed because the chain on the first down marker has frozen. They can't straighten it. So, right, they, so they show them all in the sidelines, like all the guys, like rubbing it, trying to warm it yeah. up so they can get it taut. Madden was enjoying that. And that, that gets him talking about how, how much worse cold games are for fans than they are for players or coaches because the players are running around, the coaches can pace, the yeah. fans are stuck so, in their seats. And they, he goes, they just have to sit quietly, at which point I was expecting the CBS crew to shoot to cut to Bear fans throwing snowballs at Saint fans to keep themselves warm. But they didn't do that. Um, oh, so this is also go. So Neil Anderson looks like he hurts himself. Madden and Vern and sideline reporter Pat O'Brien have been talking incessantly about as the temperatures are getting colder and it's getting dark because it was the afternoon game, the late game, uh-huh. the people, the Bears grounds crew was worried the field was going to freeze. Yeah, and the field was going to freeze starting on the sidelines and then slowly working its way to the middle of the field. They were worried oh the sidelines would be slippery. It's like invasion of the body snatchers. So Neil runs out of bounds on a sweep and sl- slips. And kind of goes like flying 
he slides you know off the over the the astroturf they have to try to protect you know the grass over there on the sidelines yeah, whatever yeah, yeah. and he goes sliding and after talking about this for 2 hours Madden and Vern are both convinced that Neil has blown out a hamstring running to the sidelines uh-huh. and it's like guys he slipped one play later he's back in the game and Madden thinks it's the most miraculous thing he's ever seen he's now fully recovered they then get a report from Pat O'Brien that Neil was never hurt it's like guys you've just yeah. been talking about it Right, right. It was right there. Yeah, and that, that, that three-year-old Soldier Field natural grass, which, you know, they put in 1988. Hard to imagine they're having issues maintaining it. So the Bears are trying to run the clock out. Um, they're up 13-3. They're up to three. And on a fourth and two, Ditka decides to go for it. Jesus. They call this, it's a, they call a bootleg for Tom Zack. And he has one outlet, and it's Brad Muster. And everybody, of course, you got to respect Mike Tom's athleticism. All the Saints go running towards him. He drops it off to Muster, and to the shock of everyone, including Tom Zach and Muster, it works. They convert the first down. Uh, But my favorite part of it was, as Madden was was describing the replay, he talked about Tom Zach lurching on the bootleg. So then Vern decides that would be a fun nickname for Mike Tomzak and then refers to him more than once as Lurch Tomzak. Wow. The rest of the game? Great. There's a pretty good chance Vince or uh, Vern was drunk during the game. I guess he's filling in for Summerall. He figured he might as well. Right. Fit the part, and it was cold out. And Okay. So I guess I wasn't late. They were trying to run out. It was 10 minutes to go. Butler lines up for a 36-yard field goal. It's going to make it 16-3, to basically put the game away, and he misses it. Fucking Butler. So at this point, with 10 minutes to go in the game, the Bears have run 30 plays in the second half. The Saints have run six. Okay. So talk about hanging on to the ball. Yeah, we've seen hardly any of this uh, exceptional John Forcade. He just hasn't had a chance to no, shine. No, right. I mean, that's uh, how, how do you shut down John Forcade? You just don't let him right. off the field. Off the field. Right. Um, so this was, I looked it up, this was the best playoff game Neil Anderson ever had. It's the only game that he ran, the only playoff game he ran for 100 yards. Uh-huh. He had 27 carries for 102 yards. He was one of one passing for 22 yards and caught four passes for 42 yards. Uh, in 1990, the, the season, he had 1,562 total yards, which was second most in the NFC. Yeah. So it was his, it was his lowest rushing output in three years, but he still had a great season. Yep, yep. Now, I'm not convinced that Neil didn't run. How do, do we know Neil didn't run for like 250 yards in the Fog Bowl? And people just didn't see well, it? Well, so I'm thinking, and, and it just occurred to me that amazingly, Tom Zach, I think, was the starting quarterback in the Fog Bowl, too, which again, you got. He was. And Vernon, Vernon John talked about how he had won the last playoff game they had won. Right. So, yeah, pretty exceptional. But yeah, Anderson would have been the guy. It was the first year without Peyton. Um, you know, uh, I don't. I can't, you know, just like with this game, I can't tell you too many details, especially I was literally there and couldn't tell you what happened in the second half, even if I was able to remember it because we couldn't see. Um, so I don't, yeah, I don't remember. Did Anderson stand out in that game? Um, I think he had like 60 yards rushing. So yeah. no. but that was his first of three really good seasons. And yeah, 19 was a really good year for him. Uh, was he even, he, was he even on the team again the next year? Cause they made the playoffs again. Yeah, he, so played two more, he played two more years after that. Okay, so he played in a fair number of playoff games. Uh, 
and so this this one stands out. But it it, it makes sense because I think it felt like this was his finest season. Like you just said, it was his third lowest rushing seasons of the previous three. But combined with receiving yards and just everything else, uh, it was almost he was almost at his at his peak. So um, John Forcade is on the field to weave his magic, and he does Thank move God. the ball better than Walsh. Although it would have been hard not to have moved the ball better than Walsh. Um, and John Mangum, who had the interception early in the game, makes a pretty amazing play to save a touchdown on a pass to the great Lonzel Hill. Hill's open, Forcade puts it on him, and Mangum comes flying out of nowhere and knocks it out of his hands in the end zone. Look at that, John Mangum. Um, that looked like that was going to be the, and, and Madden even says it, that might be the last threat that the Saints yeah, mount. It would have tied the game, you're saying, right? Uh, it would have made it 13-10. Uh, to 10. Oh, my bad. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, so then the next play is fourth down. Bears stop them, but it's pass interference on Mark Carrier. And okay. It was. Not a bad play. Um, that, however, keeping the drive alive, that was fun, because then on either the next play or the play after that, we have a massive collision in the backfield between William Perry and Craig Ironhead Hayward. Hayward. And William Perry does not lose the collision. Is that right? Yes. This is pretty much the end of Perry, too. In fact, on one yeah. play, it's kind of sad. He ends up he ends up helping on the play. He's lined up a defensive end, not a tackle, and he starts to rush the passer, decides he's not going to get there. He stops. He's literally standing on the field. And I don't know if it's 4K or Wall starts to roll towards him. Yep. And McMichael nails him, nails the quarterback, only because like Fridge had almost inadvertently set a pick. Like the quarterback's like, well, shit, there's Fridge. I got to try to get around him. But oh, even nice. Madden's like, I don't really know what William was doing on that play. Yeah. He was standing there is what he was doing. He had stopped trying to chase the quarterback. Um, I do remember the next season in 1991. I remember watching this. I know you lived at Stadium View Apartments in DeKalb, but so did I. And it was in 1990. I just remember being in my apartment when they beat the Giants and they staved off a, 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 a um, an attempt by the Giants to go to overtime. This would have been the great Ray Handy's first Ray Handley's first season. But yeah, Fridge Perry is like my, the last thing I remember he did as a bear, but he blocked the field goal attempt. And, um, and you're, but you're right. Like by 1990, 91, when you're that big and you don't keep yourself in shape, yeah. even though you're gifted athletically, in spite of your size, you know, after a few, you only have a few years to capitalize without disciplining yourself. And so, yeah, Perry, for a big fat guy, and he was one of the very few 300 pounders in the league when he came in in, uh, in 85, he was, because he was so young and, you know, kind of freakish, he was, he was very effective for a few years. But, you know, if you're not going to keep yourself into shape, that's going to, so by 1990, that he's only a 27 year old man, but yep. he's already, yeah, kind of sucking away. Okay, so on third down, another incomplete pass. Bears are going to get off the field. Oh, another pass interference on Mark Carrier. Jesus, Carrier. Sets up first and goal on the two. First play, they try to run a sweep to Dalton Hillard. Vesty Jackson is having none of it. <laughs> Second and goal from the five. Three-yard loss for Vesty. Um, speaking of lack of effort, on second and goal at the five, Forcade rolls to the right, and Ironhead is open in the end zone. Doesn't think Forcade's going to throw him the ball, so he's completely flat-footed. Forcade throws it a little bit to his right, and Craig can't turn to catch it. He would just throw his arm up. Yeah, basically, Madden's him. like, I don't think he thought he was going to get the ball. Yeah, we can see that. What's so, so now it's third goal up. at the five, 
And on my notes here, it's I all I, I characterize it as 4K goes full Mitch. Oh, God, dro- I really he, can't wait. He drops game. back. He starts to roll to the right. He sees it coming. He spins wildly to the middle of the field where he is sacked for a 15-yard loss. On third, okay. So now it's goal. fourth and goal at the 20 in a 13-3 to game with five minutes to go, and Jim Mora legitimately has to kick a field goal. He does, yeah. To get it to seven. Right, so, take the points. It's a one-score game. So Morton Anderson makes it. So the Bears oh, get shit. the ball now back. We, now now we need to complete some first downs. You got five. If you just run a little five-minute offense, you're in good shape. Um, Vern points out on a carry, Neil Anderson Cross, he has a gain. He's gone over the 100-yard mark. Vern mentions it's the third time in the game he's gone over 100 yards. Wow. He ends up he, pulled up. he ends up going over 100 yards five times in the same game. And they get 102 shit. yards. Because he would go, he'd get like to 101, yeah. and then he'd lose two yards. And then he'd get he'd get three yards, and he'd be at 102, and then he'd lose That's two yards. Yeah. That's like the time I talked earlier in the season about Dave Hampton and the Falcons, who went over 1,000 yards, yep. but then went back under and then didn't get a chance. Uh, that's pretty incredible that he did it more than well, – you could see that happening once or twice, but at some point, yeah, you either stay under or burst over. Uh, that, I mean, that's hilarious. <laughs> so on a big third down, the maybe it's second down. I think it was second down. Uh, Mike Tomczak hooks up with the aforementioned Dennis Pinky Gentry for 38 yards, gets the Bears across midfield. Fans are starting to feel it. Yep. Um. That makes me happy hearing that because I would not have guessed that Gentry, who was um, – he may have been a rookie in 85 uh, on the 85 team, uh, that he was still around there, you know, yep. gave me some sort of a sweet tinge of nostalgia because there weren't that many that many of the guys left. You, you mentioned the offensive line, uh, Sean Gale, uh, you know, Pinky, uh, that's Hampton, McMichael, uh, you know, that's yeah, – Hampton, hard. McMichael, Fridge, and Fridge. Singletary. Yeah, that's probably that's it, right? It. And Butler and Maury Buford. And Chico. The guys who really count. Yeah, Chico, yeah. who'd been a rookie? Uh, second year, not a starter still. Yeah, he was drafted the same year as Wilbur. He was a second-round pick. But, Wilbur I mean, all the stars are gone. Um, yeah. You know, Ken well, Mardrum, gone. Yeah. Henry Wachter, Reggie Phillips. Jeff Fisher, Those guys right, aren't yeah. there anymore. Jim you know, Jim Orsi was in this game, you're saying. He was a starting Yeah, Jim Orsi was there. Uh, I think the only scab still on the Bears was the Cause. Yep, yep. He was yep. still there, mixing it up on special teams, being annoying to everyone. Yeah, it really the was Bears. the last. Right. It was. It, we didn't know it at the time. It, it, you know, and they made the playoffs again the next year with Ditka, and then lost at home to the Cowboys with Harbaugh. Tom Zach was it had been shipped up to Green Bay when it was still a, a you know, a fucking bad thing to be sent yep. up there, and. um yeah, we are, we're in the last days of Ditka, which you know turned out to be a disappointment anyway, but it was just kind of a shell of what we uh, were so excited about from you know, 84 to 87. So the Gentry thing gets them across midfield. Then Brad Muster breaks a 28-yard run, puts them firmly <laughs> wow. into field goal range. On fourth down, Butler makes a field goal, makes it 16-6. to The Saints, on their last gasp, Sean Gale picks off John Forcade to seal it. The Bears right. wouldn't win another home playoff game for 16 years. Well, and again, they would only play in one, two. That was their third home playoff game, four or five. They played five, six since then. Yeah. Um, so my, my other two notes here, uh, at, at the end of the game, you could clearly see Michael McCaskey on the sidelines in a trench coat. 
I don't know if he was getting ready to flash the Saints fans, but he was over there. And um, one thing I was underrated about the old uh, the, the old Soldier Field scoreboard. I really liked the font on the game clock. It always looked cool because that was the old days when they would had to train a camera on the game clock for the yep. whole game, and then they would just they would yep. just show it in the corner. I always thought the Bears had the coolest time font. So it was always like a little bit different from stadium to stadium. Yeah, it was on the a broadcast. little italicized. It was kind of right. blocky. Right. They didn't have their own that was in sync with the stadium or the referee's clock. Right. But they would have said, you're right, box. Yep. <laughs> That's funny. Because <laughs> I can picture it. And not only because you watch YouTube videos. You know, I, I, I've seen it since then. But even, even if I hadn't, in my memory, I can kind of picture that the precise type of look that that, that, that had. So this got me thinking about uh, the last five home playoff wins the Bears have had. Last five? That would have been the Fog Bowl against the Eagles, this game against the Saints. Yep. um, Overtime win against the Seahawks. And then the next week? The NFC title game against the Saints. And then the next year, um, or or 2011, the year year when they had the horrible uh, NFC title game against the Packers, they beat the 7-9 Seahawks to get to that game. So two against the Saints franchise and two against the uh, Seahawks, Seahawks franchise. And then one against the Eagles in the fog. Uh-huh. So the um, the the average record of those five teams that they beat in home games. <laughs> in that season in which they ultimately played the Bears? Yeah. Yeah, because one you of them was round, up. You have to round up to get to nine and seven. So is it like it was 8. Ten, 10 and six? Yeah, it's eight point eight to seven point two. Uh, the so, ten and six Eagles, the eight and eight Saints, the nine and seven Seahawks, the ten and six Saints, and the seven and nine Seahawks. Oh wow! That is not exactly heavy lifting. Uh, and then throw into the pile the fog. Yeah, throw because the they, they probably would have lost. And without the fog, they probably lose to those Eagles. Buddy, was, have- Buddy was always sure they were going to. It would have been. Uh, they were certainly outmatched on offense with Tom Zach going up against Randall Cunningham, but yeah, yeah, they had a yeah, better defense yeah. than the Eagles. So yeah, they were they were still good, but they, the the fog benefited. Uh, Cunningham was still a little bit raw, I think, in '88. Um, but yeah, but you're throwing in that you're throwing in two coaches who historically were just inept in the playoffs. I mean, like everything a losing team has been a seven and nine team, and they just still managed to underwhelm. Right. In spite of all these favorable conditions. Yeah, that's quite a glorious. Um, so I also I didn't want I haven't rewatched the entire uh, title game yet against the Saints from uh, 07, but I'm going to yeah, do that just, as a column for the newsletter. All right, save that for the offseason. Like this season's Bears team, I think it's appropriate that we broke down this awful 1990 playoff game. Uh, rather than that championship, it almost is like this team. You know, this season doesn't deserve us to. Uh, to go into an actual triumph over a good team, you know, and with a lot more on the line than uh, the opening round of the playoffs against a team that like barely got into the, you know, that barely made it. But I do have a few interesting stats about that title game win over the Saints. Um, the Bears forced three fumbles in the first quarter. Wow. Do you know how many points they scored in the first quarter? All, all three fumbles were in Saints territory. Wow. Okay, six points total? Nine. Nine. They turned turn them all into a field goal. He's converted points. The Rex didn't turn it back over. All right. The Bears had a scoring drive where Rex did not throw a pass, and Thomas Jones that. ran eight times for 64 yards, which may very yeah. well have been the entire 
length of the may have been every play on the drive. I remember watching that and we were realizing it. My brother and I, when they got down to the goal line, like they have not passed the ball this entire drive. Did you remember that the Saints missed a field goal in the third quarter that would have given them the lead? Vaguely. Was that after the Reggie Bush touchdown? Yes. It all went downhill, huh? Okay. Um, yeah, and that Reggie Bush touchdown. Everybody talks about how he outran Erlocker. But Erlocker, it was pretty, when you watch the replay, it's pretty amazing that Erlocker gets in the picture because he's on the other sure. side of the field. Yeah. The guy and that, this- the, he, uh, Reggie runs up the left side. Erlocker went right on the play. That was where his assignment was. Um, the guy that should be humiliated forever, except he did a worse thing in the Super Bowl, Daniel Manny takes the the second worst angle of his life yeah. and allows the 88-yard touchdown run. It should have been yeah. like a 30-yard pickup. He gave him an extra yeah. 58 at the end. Um, yeah. yeah, it makes sense. All hell breaks loose for the Bears from the moment the, the Drew Brees safety happens. Um, the Bears go on to score, what, 20... Four unanswered points, something like that after that. Yep. Yeah, yeah, a little bit of tension there right before and after halftime, especially with the Bush touchdown. For, uh-oh. But it didn't take long before uh, they, they regained control of that game. How many penalties do you think the Bears had in the game? How many what? Penalties. Uh, two? They had one for five yards. Excellent. Yep. Very disciplined. That's how you get to the Super Bowl, my friend. Saints had seven for 76. Okay. Rex Grossman started the game. How many of his first 20 passes think he completed? Uh, seven. Five. Okay. And then Rough he finished, start. but he's Rex. He finished 11 for 26. So he completed his last six, including a touchdown. That okay. Bernard Berry and one of the most ridiculous catches in Bear history. I think we talked about this the last time the Bears played catches the Saints. Catches it rolls ass over tea kettle into the end zone for a touchdown. Yep. Um, so what's the, oh, I guess the other stat I had was... Um, Oh, the Bears ran. I, Matt Nagy might have been calling plays for the Saints. The Bears ran 46 times for 196 yards. The Saints ran 12 times for 56 yards. Drew Brees. With Reggie Bush. Drew, Not that Reggie Bush was a workhorse. No, but, but still. Uh, Drew Brees threw 49 passes against the Bears. Wow. Against those Bears. You don't do that. The You notice the Colts didn't. Even with Peyton Manning, the Colts loaded up Dominique Rhodes. Well, that was right. That was it. They won that game at the line. They just pushed the Bears back. Now, uh, was Tommy playing in no. the Saints game? You he, know? Was all, he was already gone. Yeah. All right. So they won in spite of that. But you're right. The the secondary, you know, Tillman, in my book, is a Hall of Famer. Vasher was really good for a few years. In fact, you know, the, the cornerbacks on that team were better than the corners in the 85 Bears. Probably the only area, definitely the only area you could say that. But they were... Uh, they were, and, and I'm sorry, it's escaping me who the safeties were. Was Manuel a starting safety? He was a nickel, right? Or man, Manny, man, I don't, I think he took over when, um, Brown got hurt because Mike Brown started the season. Brown was he, out too. He got hurt in the Cardinal game, I think. Okay. Right after he scored the touchdown. He scored okay. the first Brown, defensive touchdown. Brown didn't play like the rest of the season that year? No. I think he Jeez. only came back for a few games ever. Maybe one after that. Okay. Okay. Um, in his career, it was over. Of course. So it was Chris Harris and Daniel Manning were the safeties. Chris Harris, that's right. Okay. Chris Chris Harris with the completely flat nose. His head looked like it was built to hit things. You mean like Scotty Pippen? I don't remember what Chris Harris looked like. He looked like he looked like he had repeatedly hit his face into hard objects and squished his everything was flat. 
Okay, because I used to think Scotty had a, a nose that was yeah, just... Yeah, Scotty was a pretty flat dude. Uh, Thomas Jones ran for 129 yards. I'll drink to that. That's the Bears' postseason record. Really? Whose record did Thomas Jones break? It wasn't Neil Anderson 1990, right? Uh, it was not. And was it Peyton? Peyton would have had a couple hundred yard games, I think, like well, both. Let's 85. just say that this guy either set this record right before or right after Pearl Harbor. Was it, uh, what's his name? Osmansky? Bill Osmansky? George McAfee. Oh, yeah. George McAfee, Hall of Famer. My dad tells me a story one time of, you know, my dad being born in 33. Uh, he was a 10 year old kid and, uh, you know, living on the north side, you know, Our Lady of Lords Parish uh, in West Lakeview, about a mile from Wrigley Field, and hanging out or like being with his buddies, walking by the YMCA. And, up pulls George McAfee for his <laughs> off-season workout. This is, what, this is what a slice of what the NFL might have been like in the uh, you know in the in the late '40s, early '50s. And you just remember, like you know, pull you know, it's the YMCA, but you know, it, this is a, a Bears player in the off-season that's going in to get a workout. So there you go. But he was a Hall of Famer, and uh, apparently the. The, had a very big uh, rushing game in an NFL title game. What year would that have been? 1941. That's why I'm sure it was after. That, right? that was when they beat the Giants. I don't know when right. they played the playoffs in in 1940s. If it was before, it would have been after December. It would have been after Pearl Harbor. I think those games were a little bit after, so I don't think they disrupted the season. So, um, <laughs> wow. So Peyton didn't even do it. So for Mac. Yep. It's you know we're not ripping on the Bears' running history. It's actually something yes. we can hang our hat on. But I think it's more maybe the lack of playoff appearances. Yes. In the modern. I age. do enjoy making fun of the the terrible passing history. Right, because even like the running game, when you talk about the playoffs, we did not get the benefit of seeing Walter Payton in the playoffs until the end. Right, and he was still pretty good. I mean, he had he ran he. It was nice to see Peyton got to like rack up a couple of like fifteen hundred yard seasons when he was thirty three, with a lot less damage than it took him to get like thirteen hundred yards five years earlier because they were so good, had such a better line, they weren't focused on Peyton, and he was able to really rack up yards. And then I think he had a couple of good playoff games, but there's not a lot of playoff games that he played in. So no, didn't he have in eighty five? Didn't he have eleven straight hundred yard games? Wasn't that the big deal? Yeah, that's right. When right. man was handed off in the Dolphins game, he was changing plays to runs, and Ditka was getting pissed. And McMahon's like, "We've already lost, and we want to. We need to get Walter yeah. 100 yards." Yeah, fuck yeah. yeah, yeah. You're right. It was at that point in the season, but it felt like a lot of the yards he got were just so much easier than how how he got his yards. Well, yeah, he didn't have to break four tackles before he got to the line of scrimmage anymore. Right. It, it was just. It was nice that he had the better. That he got. He got that benefit later in his career because. You know, he built so much of that of his yard yardage total um, by himself. So, speaking of of that, the this uh, game Sunday in the Superdome will not be the first Bear playoff game ever played in the Louisiana <laughs> Superdome. That's right. Yeah, the greatest game in our lifetime. So, I would I would expect they'll just duplicate that with a forty six to ten tribute. Well. Look, we, we've talked about both Saints games. We really went in depth in 1990, and that was fitting uh, with this Bears season. And we've already talked about the Bears' 1994 playoff game. But I have to say, I felt like the parallel – and other people have pointed it out. Um, but just watching like Mitch Dink and dunk the team down the field until they got to the red zone and, um, you know, seeing them back in the playoffs, the 94 Bears with Wanstead, 
backed into the playoffs. Uh, you know, face it, it's just like I know the Saints are really good, but I wouldn't be shocked uh, if the Bears somehow pull it off. But I, I have no misconceptions about what happens after that. So I almost would rather they don't win because don't want us to go. You don't want Bears Packers right? three. And, but I but I and I do remember in 1994 that when they you know you kind of thought they could upset the Vikings because we we, we went over this I'm just going to do it again just to reinforce it but that Bears team got blown out by the Vikings early in the year had a rematch in late November and the Bears were actually a game up on them which I didn't realize until I looked at it recently and the Bears played them way tougher in Minnesota and you just kind of felt like they were kind of like pushing it back the other direction and sure enough in that playoff game. Uh, they did, but I know, and, and it kind of felt, yeah, you know, as much, it wasn't just a matter of drinking Kool-Aid. It was like, I, you know, I kind of felt like they had a chance to do that. I had no such similar thoughts after that game. You just knew it was all Dallas, all San Francisco that season. They were going to play each other in the title game because that's how it had been for the previous two seasons. And that game pretty much went exactly as you'd expect. And so, again, I wouldn't be shocked if the Bears hang in there. I know New Orleans has a good defense, but, you know, Breeze is old, can't throw deeper as accurately as Rodgers, and the Bears have a good defense, and somehow maybe they fluke their way in. Foles maybe comes back and is hot again. No matter what, it, I, I, it's going to be the exact same feeling as it was in 94 when the Bears went in a candlestick. They're just like, you just yeah. – they're not. It's there, there aren't enough lucky breaks that are going to be provided to you and the best case scenario that's going to allow you to do it. So I'm happy just because there's more football and we're still at the tail end of COVID and it's nice to like, you know, have something to look forward to. Um, and, you know, we're going to, I'm going to find myself rooting for him to win, but if that happens, heaven forbid, uh, <laughs> I don't look forward to, I'm really not looking forward to the next game. Yeah. yeah the parallels like the 94 bears um, lost in the second game against Minnesota in overtime. Yep. The Bears lost to the Saints this year in overtime. Wow. Um, I didn't consider that one. Yeah. And There's then, also the uh, And then when they when the Bears pulled off their fluke win against the Vikings, they went out to San Francisco and they lost forty four to fifteen. And yeah, they could yeah. very well go to Glambeau and lose 44 to 15. There's also facing the aging Hall of Fame quarterback uh in that in that game because they had Warren Moon. Uh, very similar, I think, to Breeze. Breeze actually made it through and won a Super Bowl, but you know, I would, I would like to, you know, it seems like they their numbers are probably somewhat similar. Um, so yeah, it's funny that 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 why I'm glad we talked about that playoff game a few weeks ago at the Vikings because there's just I hadn't really given it much thought. It's just kind of funny how it came more into focus when the Bears made this the, the playoffs this week. And I'm like, they're. I mean, we've been here before, and it's okay, and it's fun, and we're going to enjoy it. But it's it's uh, uh, it's finite. <laughs> it's not going to go much longer. Yeah, I mean, you've got the you've got the overmatched head coach, like Matt Nagy and Dave Wanstead. You've sure. Got the the ill-equipped quarterback Steve Walsh and Mitch. Yep. There's yep. a lot of people yeah. who the, can't throw downfield. You said on the podcast or somebody um or yeah, Mitch's. Uh, Mitch had the big catch, uh, the big pass to Mooney uh, yesterday or Monday. Walsh's large, longest pass of the season occurred in that playoff game. Yeah. And it was like fifty-three yards. Yeah. Or something. yeah, there was a graphic today um, by uh, either Football Outsiders or Pro Football Focus. They took, um, they had a chart which showed the strength of schedule that every starting quarterback in the NFL faced this year. 
who do you think had the who faced the lowest strength of schedule in the entire <laughs> league? Is there is there a minimum number of games here, or just uh... no. well maybe, but um, both Bear quarterbacks met it. They were both on the they graphic. Both did. Yes. I think, yeah, the only path for the Bears to actually do something unlikely, like win two games, is going to have to involve Foles. I've, and I'm not, I don't consider myself a Mitch hater. I hate both of those guys, actually. I don't like, Mitch is, he's, he's limited. He can only go so far. But the only way that they can really do anything is if Foles pulls that shit out of his hat. Yeah, like, so that he did so years Foles ago. faced like the ninth toughest strength of schedule. Mitch okay. faced the, the weakest by a lot. Okay. Like it almost looked like they had the so they had like the they had like the the bar like in the middle and then they went to the right with the graph for strengths for real tough strength schedule and it almost like they had to make the thing wider to get to Mitch's because Mitch only faced two teams with winning records the two starts against the Packers everybody else was a loser <laughs> and Foles ended up having to face all the winning teams right. and it's not like he acquitted himself even average you're like well you know he really did. he was bad against them and Mitch was bad against um, yeah. Yeah. against the Packers both times, and then just kind of okay against everybody else. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I've i said on the podcast the other day with Mike yesterday, um, you, we've got Nick Foles who can do one thing. The one thing he's really good at is kind of just like parachuting into a big game yeah. and winning it. The Don Strzok. You know, if you said. have to play, everybody knew that if you have to play him week after week, he's useless. Yeah. And yeah. it'll be interesting given the fact that, and this is, I, I am of the assumption that Matt Nagy feels like when this season ends, that's it for Mitch. Mitch is going bye-bye. Because okay. if he if he signs on to the let's bring Mitch back, then they're both leaving together in a year. He yep. needs, in Nagy's perfect world, they get a young quarterback, which then buys him more years. If he goes, if if they just run Mitch back again, it's over for him. Yeah. So I could easily see Nagy during this game at some point just yanking Mitch. Uh huh. Saying, "All right, tough shit. We're going to the other guy." It would actually kind of be justified. the The other thing I thought of too is that it's not completely horrible if the Bears win because there is that that last sliver. Very unlikely. We've talked about it. We talked about the McCaskies have a little bit of that, you know, as passive as they are and as unwilling as they are to pay everybody. They do have a little bit of that meatball gene. So if the Bears win Sunday and then go into Green Bay on national television and lose by like seven touchdowns, like like all of a sudden the the, the pride and joy of the 1940 NFL championship game is <laughs> it's surpassed, and the Bears lose 78 to three, that's your last hope. That's the only way that those guys aren't back next year. And even then, that's no guarantee. I mean, do you think they strap? Vag to the back of the Dusenberg and make her drive all the way up to the Fox Valley to witness it again. And on the way back, she's just like, I am so tired of losing to Fuzzy Thurston and a goddamn Packers. Not dead yet. Hey, Grandma, remember being on the city of New Orleans for all the way down from Union Station to, New, to, you know, to the bottom of the Mississippi? Let's make that ride. Let's expose. Yeah. I, uh, going, I really hope Woodrow Wilson gets a hold of this pandemic. <laughs> Uh, Is Herbert was, Hoover speaking off the back of this train? <laughs> that was the last pandemic, badge. What? That's right. Yeah, I don't know what to, right. you know. The, the, I don't know. I, I, I would love to be able to just, you know, like, this playoff thing shouldn't have gotten anybody extra points. It's the it's literally the short bus to the playoffs. They had to add uh-huh. a spot. You, did, uh-huh. you, you backed in because another team lost. 
the team she's probably thinking oh i feel so bad for the for the cardinals since we share a town no you don't virginia they've they left <laughs> 60 70 years ago comiskey park's long gone it's another place um you would hope that that last week playing your ass off and still losing by three touchdowns to the Packers is enough for them to go, this isn't working. Um, yep. Maybe they need to lose by four touchdowns to the Saints. Maybe that's those maybe those two added together. Okay. I fear that winning a playoff game makes everybody feel like, God, we're close. Even if I know. you go up to Green Bay and get beat. Not enough that I'm going to root against. I still want to see them win. Not, I know I'm not, we I'm, can't help ourselves. Can't, yeah, no, it, yeah, we're not they don't play yeah. enough games, and they don't play enough playoff games for me to. I don't have the luxury of kicking back, going, "Oh, I hope they get their ass beat today." It's like, no, 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 no. no we're gonna enjoy. We're gonna try to enjoy it. We're gonna get frustrated. We might be pleasantly surprised, but I'm just saying the only path to like the big picture of yeah. the change being made is I to win. Is to squeak somehow out win and then lose by eight a record-setting performance. Yeah. I mean, I always have it. to be careful on the other pod how, when I say mean things about Drew Brees because Pusteri went to Purdue and he loves Drew. It's like, oh, does he really? Yes. So I, I, refu- I don't call him Harry Moleface. Um, although you know, he had that thing scraped. The big Did mole. He? Drew's mole is, um, it's still there, but it doesn't have like the fuzz growing off of it like it used to. He clearly had it shaved down. Good for him. Um, but I mean, it's amazing. We'd go back and watch the '07 title game. And then 14 years later, the Saints still yeah. have the same quarterback and coach. I know. I mean, they're the only two that are still around, but it's still it's like, still, holy crap. It's, it's another depressing reminder. You talk about like Favre and Rodgers holding down the fort for 28 years, yeah. and you see that. And uh, you got to think, yeah. what would that be like? To actually, I know. To actually want your quarterback to stick around and, and be like, be dreading the day that he left. And pray he doesn't get hurt. Yeah. <laughs> You know, because Breeze, for a for a tiny little guy, has had an amazing career. Yeah, Hall of Famer, Famer. Super Bowl, uh, brought the only Super Bowl to New Orleans. Yeah, yeah. But there's not much left there. I mean, no, there's not, and that's that's he gets he gets by now on being smart because he he just doesn't have the arm anymore. That's part of the reason I hang my head on it is that he's not going to be able to beat him deep. The Bears do have a good defense. They might be able to ring his bell. And then, you know, I don't want to think about the other side of the ball, but I just think that that's, that's a little bit of the, a window to, to, to making it happen. But, and, and I won't, we, I won't we do feel need bad. to know. I, I really don't think I, unless Jalen Johnson comes back, I just, I don't think the Bears have much of a chance because I know now you've got two guys to pick on Kindle Vildor and Duke yeah. Shelley. Uh, if you get Johnson back, then you've only got one spot you need to cover for. You probably can do that. But when it's two, I mean, Rodgers just had his pick. He literally, on, on most plays, had three guys he could just like, who do I want to throw it to this time? Because Duke was on somebody, Kindle was on somebody, and then amazingly, Danny Trevathan is chasing wide receivers. Yeah, the I know. And Aaron Rodgers is just like, this is too easy. I mean, that's why well, he went 10 for 10 with three touchdowns in the first half. But even the passes he throws are so good, it's frustrating. And you mentioned it, like that one over the middle, seventy yards. He like he like he, I think you said this. He threw it to like where to lead the to, to truly lead the like like throw it where he hadn't even caught yet. Yeah, it was actually I had to admire that play when they showed it from behind the quarterback. Where um, not not the one where Trevathan with the seventy-two yarder, I think it was. But like he threw the ball before the guy caught. And it was just a subtle cut. It wasn't a real cut, but he like threw it to his left shoulder 
while like the the defender was I, I just I can't even almost describe it. Like all he had to do was get behind it, but then also a little bit further to his left. Like you know, it wasn't a jump ball. It, it just man, it'd be nice the, if we had something. The seventy two yarder, he clearly knew they were gonna he was gonna throw a touchdown pass when he changed the protection. He read the blitz, he saw who was gonna be covering Marquez Valdez Scantling. Right. And he knew that's where he was gonna throw it. He changed the protection. He dropped back. He waited an extra half second because he could. And as and even made. before he threw it, he's like, "This is a touchdown," because Scantling's already behind Trevathan, and I'm gonna I'm gonna lay it out in front of him. He's not gonna have to break stride or slow down. Trevathan's right. not gonna get within ten yards of him, and he didn't. Now, even if Mitch sees the same oh, thing, right. he it's, throws it where it's, Scantling has to stop and or come back, and Trevathan up, right. and it's a fifteen yard gain or a twenty yard. And if any, or if not, yeah, negating what advantage you had from from like getting the guy beat, you know, he's going to make up that ground. Yeah, and that's why I have. I know there are people who, you know, think I just relentlessly hammer on Mitch. But in year four, him figuring out who to throw it to, most of the time, it's still not all the time, is not good enough. Right now, right. You, you're supposed to figure that stuff out. Right now, it's about no. all right. Where do I place this pass? He's he's not there, and he'll never be there. Nope. He's lucky enough just to get it to, to decide at the last second. Oh, I'm supposed to. This guy's open. And then when you see, I joked about it, but it's not really a joke. How many replays of a Mitch interception? Are you not really sure who he threw it to? I know. I know. It's like I could have maybe. Did he overthrow this guy or underthrow that guy, or did he just not see this guy? It's. I like that in three in three consecutive games. He's. Two of the three threw an interception in the end zone at the end of the half, one at the end of the second half, and very nearly did it again, except for the fact that the guy was so unprepared for the yeah, ball hitting. One of my favorites to hit Kevin. Kevin yeah. King got hit in the balls with a pass. Right. Because when he's practicing against his quarterback, that pass isn't coming to him. <laughs> Mitch missed Allen Robinson by like seven yards. And Kevin <sighs> King is like, holy shit, the ball. Boink. Yeah. His, yeah. Mitch's best defense against interceptions are either – he throws it in an area where there's too many defenders. They fight over it, knock it away from each other. Or he c- catches the defensive back completely unaware that the ball is coming. That's not good enough. Yep. And yet we go into this figuring it's probably their last game, and we don't, for the 100% certainty, know that we're rid of Mitch. I think most nope. of us think we are, but who knows? Yeah, quite a uh, purgatory, quite a, just a team and just – disarray and we're in the playoffs well all they've done is you know you're watching the defense start to decay yeah i know and it's like okay we wasted another defense because now you got to rebuild the defense yep i know good times good times we can always wallow in the past instead of wallow in the present and that's what this podcast is for which is what we do Yes, and we I've already talked it. about it. We don't really know what we're going to do next week if there's not. Actually, either way, because it's pointless yeah. to do Bear Packer 3. We've hashed yes. that over as much as we can. So next week, yes. next if week, win they, or lose is going to be something different, and we'll have to figure yeah, out what perfect. that's going to be. Yeah, let's let's regale the kids with some some games from the '80s. We've already talked about like the giant. You know, we can we could dig something up. There's not a lot, or I guess we just have to focus on anything. No, I, I know what we can do. The 1984 Bears Redskins game at RFK. I could go on for an hour solid on that game. We haven't really talked about that at all. We made a reference to Todd Bell crushing Joe Washington. He killed, yeah, he killed Joe Washington repeatedly uh, more than uh, once. 
that's a game that if I can find that on you, I, I will watch that game again, even though I remember so many moments from it, but it's been 36 years. Um, that is one that will be near and dear in my heart because it, it kind of fits into that idea too. And I've talked about this and, you know, when you watch teams that ascend and reach the pinnacle, like even the bulls who like rewarded us with such awesomeness for six, six out of eight years. But like, I have this like soft spot in my heart for like the teams of 88 and 89 that were on the rise and like slowly incrementally getting better. Same with the Blackhawks in 08, 09, so the Cubs in 2015 and the bears in 84 and 85. So the ascent in the 84 playoff when the bears played the Redskins, uh, that's probably worthy of a cast just to break that yeah, down. That's... All that went into it, how surprising it was that we weren't used to that. The Bears hadn't won a postseason game in 21 years. They had two meager wild card appearances and went into RFK, Joe Gibbs, who, of course, afterward made sure that that wasn't right. going to happen. Yeah. He uh, got his vengeance repeatedly. But it doesn't make it any less sweet how awesome that was. So that's something we could do. Yeah, I mean, you can equate that that win in RFK to the 2015 Cubs knocking the Cardinals out of the playoffs. Absolutely. Um, Absolutely. I don't know what the bowl equivalent is. It's probably the year before they won the title when they lose they lose game five in Detroit in the conference finals. They come home, and everybody figures the Pistons are going to finish them off, and the Bulls win and go That's back to Detroit bad. for game seven. We th- they think they can win, and then Scotty has the migraine, and it all goes to shit. Well, but it was, it was the first true sign of the Cubs punching of – the, of the Bulls punching back yeah, at the Pistons. Punching back. Okay, now that now, on that analogy, it's good with the Bulls. I would just say that Jordan, you know, they got knocked out of the playoffs three years in a row by going one and nine in spite of the 63-point performance. Boston swept them both times, finally broke through and they beat the Cavs in five and 88 and then lost the Pistons in five games. So, but they're making progress. What happens in 89, they digress and they finish lower and they don't have home court in the playoffs, but then they, and they didn't beat Cleveland once that whole season. And then they beat them with the shot. And then they go into New York and surprise the hell out of them and beat them. And, you know, they steal game one and they beat them in six games. And then they face the Pistons. They're not ready, but they put the Pistons to six games. So the year before the year before they won the title, that's like the kind of team with the shot with upsetting the Knicks and Stu Jackson. And then, and then, you know, the Pistons, I think, only lost. I think they swept every other round that year. So as as overmatched as the as the Bulls were, they they took them to six games, and and from that point, you know. But that's what I'm talking about, like the ascension. I enjoy, you know, that that's some that's sometimes what you look back on and remember with fondness is is not just the. Um, you know, the pinnacle, which of course you're going to remember, but when you think back about all of that, it goes into like the, those un- unexpected successes and turning the corner. Uh, that's what really makes it fun. And that's what that, uh, you know, to bring it back, that's what the 84 bears, uh, they also fit that. So, well, and the bulls did in that 89 season for all of his faults, Jerry Krause did the thing that Chicago sports executives don't do yeah trade a young no he fired, he fired doug collins yes yeah, yeah, yeah right they right, go to right, the conference right. finals and he fires him because he's like yep. you're not the guy the because guy who's gonna get a, us a, the next next step is the is the guy in the Nehru jacket next to you right right and he was Smoking right but they, they they did take a step back in the regular season like right. they, they had and a then, digression and but managed to go further in the playoffs, but the Bulls didn't let that fool themselves into thinking, well, that's problematic that we were on the rise and then took a step back. So, yeah, it was a good move. Obviously. Obviously. Yeah. Well, hindsight is always. I know. Aren't we Because it was, everybody freaked out at the moment. I mean, nobody knew. Yeah. The coach of the Albany Patroons 
right. taking over this right. team that looks like it's on the cusp of being ready to win. Two wins from the finals, and you're going to bring in a new coach? And look what happened. Greatest dynasty of our life. Nobody else has topped six six titles in eight years. So, Well, maybe this Bear team. <laughs> this Bears team. It this starts start. now. It started the first of uh, first of six Super Bowls in eight years. Starts this we're year gonna, with Mitch. Yes, we're gonna we're gonna render these nostalgic podcasts moot by what's going on in front of us. All right. Well, I guess we'll just have to we'll just have to watch and see what happens. Yeah, we'll figure it out. Um. All right. Well, until all next right. week, then. You got it, man. Go Bears. Talk to you then. Go Bears. Many of us have herpes.